thank you. Thank you so much. Here's a big hug from Mama. A big hug. Emily, my second oldest daughter, she says I give good hugs, but it's because I'm temperpedic. I guess. I bless God for that. Okay. Wow. There's a bunch of y'all in this service. There's no wonder I can't find some place to park around here, you know. Wow. Wow. You guys look so good. Happy Mother's Day. Happy Mother's Day. I'm so glad to share it here with you today. So I just want to continue on in the, um, in the vein that my husband's been, you know, in talking about expansion. Isn't this expansion thing, like, so exciting? It's so exciting. There's so many facets of it. There's so many working parts and meetings and planning and activities that are taking, uh, taking place to make it all come together. But you know what? On the inside, it is already done. It is so already done. And I'm excited about that. But, you know, in the process of this expansion, I felt the Lord um, telling me that he wanted to expand me also. I'm trying to physically shrink, but on the inside, I'm trying to, you know, stretch out a little bit. Come out of my own personal box a bit. Stop thinking about my own laundry and my own kids and my own life and my own job and my own coworkers and all of those things because we just navel-gaze so much about our own lives that we forget there are other people out there that could use our words, our encouragement, our kindness, just our very presence, our hugs, any of those things. We get really self-centered. So I asked God, I said, you know, could you just physically show me um, what it is that I can do to stretch out my own tent stakes. So uh, vocationally, I work in fire uh, while on fire dispatcher here in the state of Florida. And during our off seasons, I sometimes go out west. So that's sometimes that's maybe why you don't know me because sometimes I'm gone for months at a time. Hi, I'm Stacy. Nice to meet you. I'm the pastor's wife here. He is married. He's married. He's married. Okay. So anyway, so I go out west and uh, people get shocked when I tell them that we have to camp. We have to live in tents. So when you're flying from Florida, you can't take a six or an eight-man tent because you have a weight limit on your baggage. So you're, you know, confined to a one, two, three, or a four if you don't wear very much, you know, a four-man tent to pack in those bags that you're allowed to bring. So it's pretty small is what I'm trying to say. So sometimes you might find yourself in a situation where I'm having to put my pants on in a compromised manner because I can't stand up straight in that thing, you know? <laughs> so, um, so when you're stretching out those tent stakes and you're trying to make the space on the inside as big as you can get it, sometimes that makes the ceiling come down real low. So in a time of expansion you may find yourself having to operate from your knees. But the process will grow you. It will engage you. It will change you. It will alter your normal lifestyle if you let it. So um, my first point is to follow God in his leading. Because he's going to help us to grow our faith here. While we're expanding, our faith is growing. Your faith's been growing since your day one. Since your day one. You had to have faith in God 
to even come to him. Because I don't know if you were like me, but I was minding my own business one day when God interrupted my life. Okay? So I apologize for my voice, by the way. If I sound like Hank Voigt off of Chicago PD, I apologize. But, you know, if you were here over the weekend, I don't know how y'all have a voice either, but mine's gone. She gone. Okay. That's okay. I told the, these girls, I, they were like, are you, is you, are you okay? I said, I feel fine. I just sound awful. But I'm going to do it squeaking if I have to, okay? I'm just going to do it. So, anyways. So, he's been expanding my faith since day one. And he, all he did was plant a tiny little seed. A tiny little mustard seed on the inside of me. And that's what you have to do is just take off with what God gives you, Okay. And he'll grow it and he'll expand it. So Ephesians 2, let me just read this here. I was where I was supposed to be, but you know, sometimes I touch on this screen, she goes someplace I wasn't. So if you're going to follow God's leading, uh, leading, it's going to be, it's going to include faith. You're going to have to have faith to follow God. For it's by grace that we've been saved through faith. And it's not of myself, but it is a gift from God. So today's Mother's Day, so some of you guys are going to get some gifts. You're doing well better, okay? If not, there's a little room back here. Help yourself to something over there if you forgot, because I understand. But, you know, if you get a gift and you don't open it, what good is it? you got to open up that gift that God gives you and dig in and see what it's all about and let it do something in your life, Okay? So also, Hebrews says that faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. Um, I, like, I like Hebrews because, you know, I see that says he brews. That means he should be making my coffee in the mornings. <laughs> come on, come on. And, and don't get mad at me because... Uh, mm. Jesus. Second Kings 21.13 says he ought to be doing the dishes too. <laughs> let, me, let me just read that to you. You can skip the first part right there, but it says, I will wipe Jerusalem as a man wipeth the dish, wiping it and turning it over upside down. I'm in trouble now. I'm in trouble now. That, that was... That was for free, but I put it up there in case you need to jot that down, you know. <laughs> my husband was like going along through my outline. He was like, what does this have to do with anything? I'm like, never mind, babe. Just put it in there. Just put it in there. I'll tell you tomorrow what it's about. <laughs> yeah. So anyways, so sometimes we have to expand our faith. So when I started expanding my faith, I was 19 years old. Like I told you, I was minding my business doing my own thing. I was living my life, which seemingly was great. I had uh, graduated high school, went right into college. I had a car. I had a home. Uh, My mama decided in the middle of all this to move back to Mississippi for a little bit. Yes, I said Mississippi because I know all y'all was wondering where that that southern accent has come from. stuck. I moved from there when I was 13 years old, but she's still here. You know, I I can't help that. But anyway, so she went back to Mississippi for a little while. But I didn't want to go. I was in college. I had a job. I worked. Um, it was called Belk Lindsay at the time. I don't know if any of you guys ever remember that, but they changed it then to Belk. But I worked for a, a clinic cosmetics, and I had just been appointed the counter manager there. And, you know, I was, had been dating a boy for several years that I dearly loved. 
And I didn't want to walk away from any of that. So I had to find out what I was going to do with my life and where I was going to live and kind of make some adjustments, adjustments and changes. So um, I asked his parents if I could move in at their house because he, after graduation, had gone away into the military. So he wasn't there. His room was empty. So it was just that he had one sister and then the parents. So they said, absolutely, you can come live here. We love you. And, you know, we had a really good relationship, and my, mo- my mom was fine with that too. So <clears throat> I moved into their house, and, um, you know, I was driving a car that they had given me. They were buying all of my groceries. I was completely and utterly physically dependent upon them. And one afternoon, until one afternoon, I was at work, and I decided to, you know, like a lot of us do on our break, I worked in the mall, so I was going to Chick-fil-A. So it was about 5 o'clock in the afternoon, and I walk down, and I go to Chick-fil-A, and I go to hang it right into the food court because I'm going after that brownie that they no longer have, and I'm pretty upset about that. (laughs) Later on, I had food allergies real bad, and they said, never, ever eat another walnut a day in your life. You could fall over and die from one bite of a walnut. I said, girl, do you know how many of them Chick-fil-A brownies I done consumed in this lifetime? And it was covered in walnuts. I don't think that paperwork is right. So, move on. So, anyways, I was going after the Chick-fil-A brownie and God interrupted my whole entire life. A woman comes right out in front of me, just as fast as she could run, whipped right in front of me. And I was like, whoa. And I look up and she turns around and looks at me and I said, Virginia Berry. So, let me tell you who Virginia Berry was. When I moved to Florida when when I was 13 years old, we moved into a little neighborhood surrounded by orange groves. Can't even find that in Florida anymore. Go figure. But they had even warned us kids in the neighborhood. They said, if you pick one of these oranges, $500 fine. Don't touch them. They were serious about those orange groves. So we lived in this little neighborhood. And if you're facing my door, I lived in the middle. And on the left side was Virginia Berry. And she was probably about 20 years older than me and had two little kids. Her and her husband lived there. And then on the other side was Teresa and Tammy Duhow. They were my same age, two sisters that lived on the other side. So um, <clears throat> she had all three of us girls babysitting her kids, you know, once we got to know each other, obviously. And so she would bring us into her house, and she would talk to us about God. And, I, you know, I maybe went to church a couple times when I was about in the third grade, but I didn't really have a relationship with God ever. We weren't raised in church. And so... Whenever um, we would come into her house, she would have on worship music. She was always playing, um, what was it called, WCIE 91.9. It was always on in her house. It was no compromise, no 80s music, dang it, man. But nothing, just just nothing but Christian influence in that house for as long as we had known her. And so we had several encounters with God on that carpet in her living room floor that I'm so grateful for to this day. But after about three or four years of living there, she bought property out in the country, and then my mother moved to a different house too. So we lost contact. And as many teenagers do, I just got caught up in a worldly lifestyle. And there was, never, there was no more interaction with Virginia. So I didn't really have anybody encouraging me to do the right thing, if you know what I'm saying. So... Um, When she zips in front of me that day, I look at her. I haven't seen her in four years. And I said, Virginia Berry. 
And she wraps her arms around me and picks me up off the floor and spins around with me. And she was like, I'm so happy to see your sweet face. And I said, same, mama, same. And so she said, I said, where are you going in such a hurry? She had a Chick-fil-A bag in her hand too, you know. She said, I just came in here to get my son Billy a little Happy Meal before we go. Um, I don't guess they're called Happy Meals at Chick-fil-A, but God forgive me. You know, a little kid's meal at, um, from Chick-fil-A on their way to church. And I said, you're going to church? She said, yeah. She said, Rodney Howard Brown's having a revival over here at this Carpenter's Home Church. There's 10,000 people packed in this place, and i got to go get my seat right now. i got to go. I'm in a hurry. And I said, well, give me your phone number. She said, call me tomorrow. We're going to catch up. And I said, okay. So I took down her phone number, and the next afternoon, about the same time, I called her at home, and I said, what are you doing? She said, you'll never guess this. They've decided to extend the meetings at the Carpenter's Home Church. They're going to have revival for eight more weeks, and i got to go. And the next thing I hear out of the room, out of the clear blue silence, was, can I go? I said, who in the world? You know, like I couldn't believe it had come out of my own mouth. I thought somebody else behind me said it. Honestly, I was like taken back. Like, what did I just say? So she said, did you say, can you go? And I said, yes, ma'am, can I go? And she said, let me tell you something right now. She said, from the time I hang up this phone to the time I get to that door, don't you do another thing. Don't you answer another phone call. Don't you talk to anybody else in that house. Don't you go change your mind to do anything else. You go get ready and meet me at that front door. In 10 minutes, I'll be right there. And I said, yes, ma'am. She was pretty serious about it. And, of course, I didn't have any clue why. I was like, what in the world, you know? So I did exactly what I was told to do because I'm a rule follower. So I went and got, got, got ready, and I stood outside the front door. And as soon as she drove her, she had a, like an 87-something older Audi um, vehicle, and she pulled, it was on its next to the last leg or something. So she pulled right up in front of the house, and as soon as I opened the screen door, lightning struck in the front yard. And I was like, and I was like, whoa. And so she's waving me. She's like, get in the car. Get, come on, just get in the car. It's like torrential downpour came out of nowhere. Okay, so she tells me, get in this car and get in here right now. And I'm like, okay, so I get in and I close the door. She's like, lock the door, lock the door. And I'm like, what, what is wrong with you? And she said, she said, no matter what happens, do not get out of this car. And she had her two little babies. I told her she had two little kids. They were buckled in the back seat, you know. And, and I'm looking at the kids like, is her mama okay? Should I take over driving? You know, what's going on here? And so she takes off driving. And as soon as we're driving um, and get off of our main road, our street onto the main road, I told you it's torrential downpouring, her sunroof comes open all by itself. Yeah. I mean, there was nothing we could do. Nothing. She was soaked. I was soaked. Those four babies were sitting in a puddle in that car seat. There's nothing we could do but look at each other and laugh. Really, it was comical. We're 10 minutes more down the road. We're almost to the church. And she said, whatever happens in this car, do not get out. I'm like, where am I going to go looking like this, you know? And so she um, pulls around. We're almost to the church, comes around this curve. She said, if the car flips over on the curve, do not get out of this car. Okay. Okay. So the windshield wipers stopped working. So she rolls down her window. What difference did it make? It was all 
We were so, it, open all the windows if you need to, you know. She's reaching outside of the window, and she's wiping the windshield with her hand like this. I kid you not. So we, we pull up to the church, and it has a little overhang, you know, quite like what we do, or a little bigger one over there. And so she pulls me up to the door, and she goes, stand right here with these kids, and do not walk away. I'm going to park this car, and I need you to be standing right here when I get back. Keep my kids real close to you, okay? And I said, okay. So as, as, I don't know if you've ever saw, it's, you know, been torn down now, but uh, Carpenter's Home Church was a circular building. And so the inside, when you walked into the door, you're in the outside foyer. So it's the inner circle. So you kind of have to step into the foyer um, first. So we were just right here. And I opened up the door, and an usher was standing there, probably the same guy who hugged you when you were seven or eight years old, and you were there, the man that was covered in love. You know, it was probably the same guy. Hands me a paper towel. Like, I'm trying to dry these little kids off, and, you know, all the things you... Soaked. So, Virginia comes up, and he hands her a paper towel, and she kind of pats herself down. She goes, let's go. And I said, okay. And I was like, going to follow her because I was her guest there. I didn't know where to go. And she's like nudging me to open the door. So I was out front. So I had one of the little kids by my hand, and I opened the door with the other hand. And when I did, something hot, a hot wave of liquid come up over the, the bottom of me, up over the top of my head, and, and just over me like this. And I was so moved. I said, this has got to be the Holy Ghost. There was no other explanation for the physical manifestation that came over my body standing there holding that little kid's hand. And I don't know if you've ever been there, but they have, it's a big place, holds 10,000 people. So you go downhill first, and then there's kind of a level platform where they have the cameras and things, and then it goes uphill to the altar area and the, um, and the stage. So I was so over, overcome by the presence of God I couldn't wait for their sweet altar call at the end, okay? So I took off down that carpeted runway, and I hit that middle platform, and I took off like a rocket towards that altar. And I had to get right with God and do it fast before I changed my mind. So I never looked back after that because I thought to myself, God, I felt this same thing when I was a little kid. I felt this same thing. In Virginia's living room, and this could be the very last time you give me the opportunity to feel the same thing again. So I got serious in one day's time, and I said, I'm going to let God change my life right here, and I'm going to take him by the hand and trust him and let him grow my faith from this day forward. So I told you I was minding my business when I got saved, right? So I had to go back and tell these people in my life what had happened. And I was so excited about what had happened. I thought for sure that they would be just as excited and, and want to go with me to experience the same thing that I had. How could somebody not? But that's not what I experienced. So unfortunately, um, you know, good for me, bad for them. Unfortunately, um, my verbal persuasion was hitting a hard wall. And I tried for a very long time, months in fact, to try to say, 
this is what God's doing. And after weeks of me like reading my Bible in front of these people, I plugged myself into that church. I started going to the college and career group every single time the doors were open. I was there. Revival went on for eight weeks after that. Like it was exciting to be in the house of God. It was like things were happening there and you wanted to be in the house. So I just took advantage of it. And every single day, Virginia, come get me. We'd go again. And eventually, um, this family, they asked me to please move out because they just got tired of it. They got tired of, they just said, you know, you're not even engaging with us. You're just going to church all the time. So um, they asked me if I could move out of the house. And I had nothing, you know. They were providing, I told you, the roof I was living under, the car I was driving. They were paying for all of our groceries. All I had was my faith in God and Virginia Berry. So um, I was like, what, you know, what is it that I can, what is it that I can do? And Virginia said, you're just going to pack your stuff and come live at my house. You may have to sleep in the bed with one of these little kids, but you're going to have some place to live. You're going to come on. So she, she gave me a vehicle, and, I, and well, we shared it. She'd go to work, and then I'd take it and keep going to college. I just kept doing what I was doing. Learned, she was just teaching me the ways of God inside of her house. She would cry. I would hear her laughing, laughing. Cause, you know, like all these mama does over here, it gets on some of y'all's nerves sometimes. She'd be laughing. The joy was on the woman all the time in the middle of the night. She was falling out of the bed. She had, well, you know, back then we had water beds, right? I know you little people don't know what those are, but... We all had water beds. So she had a water bed, and it was like high. So she'd fall, wood floor, she'd fall off that, and out of that water bed on the floor and just be cackling in the middle of the night. I'm like, she's at it again. She's at it again. She was a Holy Ghost hound dog, that is for sure, and she was after him every minute of the day to my advantage because I learned a whole lot living there with that woman. So, um, you know, I told you um, that I was trying to persuade this boy to come and get right with God. Because like I said, he was seemingly the best thing that had ever happened to me. Hear me, young people, when I say seemingly. Because um, I tried time and time again, like writing letters. Because there was no cell phones then. Where you can't just pick up the phone and call somebody who was, you know, deployed someplace um, in the military. So I would just write letters. And he'd write me back. I'd write letters. He'd write me back saying why he wasn't in, interested at all in going to church at all with me. So, but he would end every letter with, I've always asked you please to just be there for me when I get home. Please just be there for me when I get home. And so I began to see that that probably wasn't going to be the case. And I had to ask God to show me what to do and how to handle it because I didn't really know. So he was coming home, and it was going to be like one last conversation. Can we just talk one more time? And so he was trying to persuade me to stay. And so I kind of felt God say, do not go over there. And... um what do you think I did? <laughs> I went over there. But just before I walked out the door to go, the phone rang in the house, and nobody else was home, so I picked up the phone, and I said, Hello? 
and there was a semi-familiar voice from somebody I'd, you know, been friends with just at church, and, you know, this tall guy that sat in front of me got in my way all the time. I couldn't see the screen because he was so tall, but nevertheless. Anyways, and he said, hey, it's Adi. And I was like, okay, hello. Um, And he said, I know you don't know me this way, but I don't know what you're getting ready to go do, but I felt the Lord tell me to call you and tell you not to go. So this boy is in my business already. It's too soon for this. Too, too soon for this. So that leads me to my second point. Trust his fathering. Because I told you I felt the Lord tell me not to go there. And I did anyways. But, um, you know, he said it's time. And I said, time for what? And he said, it's time to let go. And so I said, okay, that's what I'm going to do. All right, after I get back from going over there. <clears throat> so I, I got in the car, and I went over there, and I told him before I came, I said, we're going to have this conversation in the driveway. I'm not coming in the house, but I need your mom and daddy to be there. If nothing else, I need your daddy to be there. And I went to the door. I told his dad I was there. I said, could you please stand at this door? Keep the screen door open or the outside, you know, the big door open. You keep the screen door closed. He stood there. And I said, I'm going to have a conversation with your son. And he already knew things were rocky. So I just needed him to stand there. I did not know that this boy had been drinking all day long prior to me coming over there. So when I went to the driveway and stood next to our vehicles having this conversation, He just let me have it. All the hurt, all the pain, all the anger that he had from the decision that I had made. I disrupted our lives. We had, you know, talked through all sorts of plans. We had all these things. As soon as he was out of the military, we had things planned. And I disrupted the entire thing. And he said, you know, I asked you to please just be here when I got back. And I... I didn't know what to say, but I'm sorry. I wasn't sorry for the decision I'd made to change my life and follow God, but I was sorry for how I broke his heart because I really did. And so after he was done telling me about myself, he was so frustrated because I wasn't responding that he just shoved me against the the car. And his dad slung that door open so fast I heard it hit the side of the house And I was like, here he comes. So while he was turned around and his dad was engaging him, I got in my vehicle and left. And as I was driving away, I said, God, I'm going to need you to take every bit of these feelings I've ever had for this man away and do it right now. I don't want to think about this another day. I know that the decision that I've made for you was the right one. And I need you to take these physical feelings out of my body. Do it right now. And so he did. He did. I had no idea what God had in store for me. I had no idea, but I trusted him. I trusted him. And I said to myself during this waiting, you know, this period of singleness, while I was just 
you know, pouring into God, just pouring into church. Every time when the doors were open, I'd go just engage myself in the things of God. And, um, you know, I never knew what, you know, what was going to come next. I just trusted God every day. So I said, God, you know, when, when you bring somebody, I just want him to love you more than he loves me. And that will sustain a relationship forever, okay? It will sustain a relationship forever if you get a hold of somebody who loves God more than he cares about anything else. Find somebody that's all in for God, okay? So I didn't, I didn't have any idea, but, you know, I sort of thought this tall boy who impeded my visual abilities during, um, during you know, our college and career classes, I started, you know, seeing him from the front for some time. And I was like, well, he's cute, you know. <laughs> and remember I told you the girl, um, Teresa and Tammy, that lived on the other side of the house from me? God swept Teresa into the kingdom at the same time as me. At the same time. So she was sitting next to me at, you know, in the youth group or college and career. We were a little older than that. But anyway, so she and I became very good friends. So if I was going to tell anybody of my interest, it was going to be her and only her. I didn't even tell Virginia, okay? So I told Teresa. And then it was um, probably, I don't know, several months later, we were all going as a big friend group to the fireworks. It was on 4th of July. We were going to Tiger Stadium, and I rode with one of Audie's friends. His name was Mark. Teresa and I rode in the backseat of his car, and he drove. And then, you know, the rest of them were all in separate vehicles. We were the only one in that vehicle. And so we're halfway there, and Mark says to me, so what do you think about Audie? (laughs) I looked over at Teresa and said, I will kill you. (laughs) What have you done? And she said, Stacey, I didn't say a thing to Audie. I didn't say nothing to Mark. I didn't say nothing to nobody. I'm scared of you. I would never. (laughs) I would never tell anybody anything you ever tell me. Do you understand me? It was not me. She said, Mark must know something we don't know. And I was like, okay. Felt a little fireworks of my own on the inside that night. You know what I mean? So, anyways, it was real sweet after that. But, anyway, so 27 years and five kids later, y'all, we still got the heat, okay? <laughs> God, God did a thing there. He did a thing there. And, uh, you know, even though we're... I mean, we're seemingly opposite. Like, I had no idea I'd end up with somebody so docile, sweet, tender, loved. He loves some people, y'all. He loves people. And sometimes I'm like, I see you trash. You better back up, little girl. You know? (laughs) Scoot over from him before you get some trouble in your lap. You know? So, and I'm like that. But you know what? 95% of marriages thrive when there's one sweet and one spicy. Okay? Okay. So opposites can attract, that's for sure. So his, his love language obviously is different than mine. His love language, you spell L-O-V-E to him, you spell it N-I-K-E. You heard him tell you he was shopping yesterday, right? You know, that's where he encounters a lot of people because he does a lot of shopping. 
he and Corey be shopping. <laughs> but anyways, you know, I don't really care about the gifts. It doesn't, you know, it's nice. It's fine. Um, but, you know, I don't want chocolates. But, honey, my love language is acts of service. And if I smell some pine saw when I look, walk in the house, look out. So it's okay to be different. So if you're the spicy one in the family, stop praying and ask God to change you and make you sweet. It's okay to be sweet and spicy. It's okay. It works out. So, um, you know, if you feel a hard decision coming in your life, let God stretch out your tent stakes. Don't be afraid to listen and to trust his fathering. So, uh, point number three is to forgive, even if it's hard. There's nothing like forgiving somebody who has wronged you, hurt you, and, you know, done unmentionable things to you. There's nothing like the freedom and the faith that comes on the inside of you when you can physically forgive, when you make the decision I'm done carrying this. I'm going to unlock the prison that I've put myself in and come out. And sometimes that's real hard. We sat in this room over the weekend, and this sweet, sweet woman that was, you know, speaking from the stage said the word, some of you in this room have somebody you need to forgive and let go. And there was one little girl in this room that I looked over at, and she was so physically moved. I knew she had somebody she needed to forgive. It was obvious. It was all over her. And my heart, I wanted to get up from my chair at the time and go over and hold her in my lap like a mama would, you know. So I know that forgiving is hard. I know it. And here's one of the reasons why I know it. Um, after Audie and I had been married for one year, uh, my 19-year-old sister was murdered. And, you know, for a while, obviously, we didn't know who had done it. And there was a, a long investigation, and, you know, I got, what happened was, was I was working for Cape Coral Police Department at the time, and I'd just come home from work, and I listened to, um, the answering machine, which for you young people, that's a box that used to sit on the counter with a tape in it, and people would call and leave you a message when you were at work, and you kept rewind it, and then, you know, play to see who called you. It's like a voicemail, but, you know, on the box. So I, I hear this man's voice that I don't recognize, and he just says to me, I'm calling for Stacy. Um, your mother needs you to come home. Your sister's been in an accident. So I hear accident, so I'm trying to call my mom. She won't answer, so I call all these hospitals in the, in the county trying to find out if she's there, and nobody has her. So my mom says, uh, you know, she, call, she called right after that and says, well, I screamed at her first. I'll just be honest with you nice church people. I said, where is she? I've called every hospital in the county. Where is she? And she said, baby, she's not in any hospital. She's still in her apartment. And I said, she's dead, isn't she? And she said, yes, baby, she is. 
And that was the very last day that I heard my sweet mom's real voice. Because, I mean, it's been since 1997, and to be honest, it's deteriorated her. She's just held a lot of bitterness and anger in her heart for a long time. But of course, we were living for God, so we immediately know, like, yes, it was a grieving process. We had to take care of business those days because, you know, somebody has to come in. My mom was shut down. She was outside her mind, you know. How do you stand in a room full of caskets and know what to do? Like, why am I standing here doing this right now? This is hard. But we had to do it. We had to just take care of business, get all the arrangements made, get the service taken care of and done. And, I mean, miraculous things were going on in the midst of all this. Don't, don't get me wrong. I mean, he had a dream. He had a dream, and God showed him who did this to my sister. And he had the guts to go tell the detective what he had dreamt. This man probably thought he'd lost his mind. But you want to know what? It was exactly who had taken her life. It was exactly who had done it. And we didn't know him. We didn't know him. It was her neighbor. We had no idea who this man was. But before we had confirmation of who this was, outside of his dream, we felt like the Lord was working on us. Like we had to forgive, no matter who it was. We had to. So, in April, she had passed away in October. The following April, I find out that I'm pregnant with Mackenzie. And I was like, there's no way whatsoever I'm going to grow this tiny brand new baby on the inside of me with all this hurt and pain and unforgiveness and bitterness that I'm feeling at the same time. It's not going to happen. I cannot do this. So, I went home. I got in the bathtub, and I just let it all out, y'all. I just grieved as hard as I physically could to the point of throwing up. I just had to get all this awful stuff out. And I was one, one bathtub decision away from the unlocking the door that would get me out of the prison that I had been in over this whole situation. I decided that the enemy had taken enough from, my fa- from our family, and he wasn't going to take one more day. So I got out of the bathtub. I mean, he had even come in in the middle of all this like, honey, are you all right? No, I wasn't all right. So he calls my mama, puts the phone to my ear. She's trying to talk sense into me. I was not all right until God got me all right. So when I got out of that bathtub, I stood up on my feet and decided that this was the last day that I would let this guy or whoever it was at the time we didn't know rob from my family. I was not going to do it. And I chose to forgive. I chose to forgive. And I'm telling you right now, um, it made my mama mad because she was shooting for the death penalty. If somebody took your baby, you would too. But I knew, because I was in law enforcement, that this was going to be an all-of-our-life process. If, if the death penalty, those people can appeal, okay? And you have to go back to court again and redo all these things. And I just wasn't willing to put my family into circumstances like that again. I just wasn't. So what we wanted was life in prison with no possibility of parole. And that's what God gave us.
And so we still pray every day for that man to get radically right with God. I hope T.D. Jakes is on the TV in the cell where he's at right now, okay? Yeah. Because you have to forgive and mean it. You have to really do it. So I know some of those things are hard, but, you know, you have to make every effort to live peaceably with everybody in your life. Whether you've experienced loss, some sort of tragedy in your family, I hope to God you don't ever feel what we had to feel. But if you have, there's hope. You put your faith in God and let him take you one step at a time every single day. Get up and put one foot in front of the other and live for God anyway. That's, what, are you, what else are you going to do? What other choice is there? You just get up and do it. We can do hard things. We've birthed babies for the love. You can do hard things. <laughs> so, you know, I pray every day for my mom. She's still very um, up under it, you know. But right after we found out we were pregnant with Mackenzie, Audie's sister had a baby. And we were in the hospital room with her when she was delivering. And guess who else was there? Virginia Berry. And she looked over at me and pointed to me. And we, we were newly pregnant. We didn't, you know, we weren't getting these blood tests. You sweet kids have access to these days. We had to wait till 20 weeks and hope to God they cooperated, you know. So I didn't know what we were having. And Virginia Berry looks straight at me and said, she will be known to the nations. Oh, and God's going to take care of your mama. So you don't have to worry one more day about what God's going to do for your mama. So it's been since 1997, and I'm still believing for my mama. I'm going to leave from here and go sit down with her and look at her face and tell her again that I love her. And tell her again that God loves her. And tell her again that he's for her. That he's not against her. That he knows her pain. That he's there for her. And if she rejects him one more time, I'm going to try again another day. Okay? You just keep on doing what God tells you to do. No matter what other people do. You know, you're not responsible. You're not responsible for other people that are left in the wake of your obedience. So please stop trying to fix all these people because you feel sad for them. Or, you know, I, I, I feel a responsibility to, you know, to love my mom, to, to pray for the people that I've hurt along the way. But you're not responsible for those people, God. God and God alone is responsible. And you can trust him to take care of those people. You don't have to. We probably just mess it up anyway. It get worse, you know. So it's okay to just trust in him. So I just want to tell you that, you know, if you're, if you're contemplating stretching out your tent stakes, like, I'm going to do some of these things. I'm going to trust his following. I'm going to trust his fathering. I'm going to forgive where I need to forgive. If that's you, listen to what God's telling you. This could be the last time that he ever reaches out, ever has an opportunity. You don't know what happens today. You don't know what happens tomorrow. But I'm just telling you right now that God's for you. He's brought you here today. He's pursuing you. He's growing you. He's expanding your, you know, he's the one that's, that's encouraging you to, to stretch it out. He's the one. So if you just bow your head with me, I just want to pray for you. <clears throat> if you were like me, 
and you were just minding your own business. And somehow you ended up sitting in this room today hearing this message. Maybe, just maybe, God's after you. Maybe he's, he's right there waiting to help you make the decision that you need to make. Maybe you've been away from God. Maybe you've ignored his voice for so long that you're so far away from him, but you miss it and you want to come home. If you've never given your life to God, or if you've been far away from him, would you just show me your hand? Because I'd really like to pray for you right now because I've been right where you are. Thank you, God. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Father. God, I just pray that these people would feel that hot presence that you that you let me feel, Lord God. Wrap your arms around these precious people that you're drawing to you right now, God. I just would like for the rest of you to pray this prayer with us. The people who raised your hand, if you just repeat this prayer after me and the people that are sitting next to you, would you just do it too to encourage them? Because we're family here. Let's lock arms with them and celebrate the decision that they just made. Even if they don't know what tomorrow will bring, Lord God, we just thank you that this opportunity was before them today and they took it. They were brave and courageous and took it. So just repeat with me. Heavenly Father, we ask you now, God, to please forgive us, to wash us clean of every sin. We repent. Help us change our ways, God, for your sake. In Jesus' name. Thank you, God. And if the rest of you, you're in this room who know God, and if you're, you know, you're encouraged to, to branch out, to scoot your stakes out a little further, to do things you haven't ever done before for the sake of God. If there's some forgiveness that you have that you felt that, yeah, you know that person. You know, you, you know that you need to forgive people when you think about them and you got that ooh, feeling. True forgiveness means people have safe passage through your mind. So if there's somebody, even if it's me, if there's somebody that you feel like, I, I do need to forgive these people because really they may not know that I'm angry, but when I look at them or I see them, you know, at Walmart, I try to go the other way. Or, you know, I don't want to engage in a conversation with these people for very long. Or it could be somebody like really prominent, like maybe it's your mama. is Mother's Day. And even if she's in heaven already, it's okay for you to go sit on the front porch today and talk to her. To tell that sweet lady that you forgive her. No matter what she did or said or didn't do, it's okay to say, I forgive you, Mama. Just let it go. So that you can experience freedom in your own life from this day forward. God, I just pray for these people in this room right now, God. Give them the courage to stretch out their tent, Lord God. To scoot those stakes out. To do things for you, God, they've never done before. Even if it seems scary, do it afraid. God, I just pray that you would help us, Lord God. 
to forgive the people in our lives that we need to let go in order to let ourselves out of the prison of hurt, pain, guilt, and anger that we've put ourselves in, God. And I just thank you, Father. I thank you that you will help us all to stretch out our stakes, to trust you, to do whatever it takes to live holy and all in for you. In Jesus' name, for the kingdom's sake, amen.